0: hello, everybody. I'm not sure hi I'm Linda. To be- hi,
1: Linda. Ah. I'm introducing you to the audience. Oh, okay. Um thank you all for being here wherever you are tuning in today whether it's daytime, nighttime, afternoon time, thank you so much for being a part of the show, Linda. I want to say that Linda has written a book called Saying Enough, Surviving a Mother's Sexual Abuse. Linda has also been recognized by Michelle Elliott, who is also recognized by the Queen of England as an OBE, who is founder of Kidscape an organization that helps children who have been abused, and it is called Keeping Kids Safe. But we hope to have Michelle Elliott on the show in the future. But for right now, we have our special guest, Linda Day. Last name is spelled Day, just like D-A-Y. And the foreword that Michelle Elliott wrote for her book. And again, I want to emphasize Michelle Elliott has an OBE status with the Queen of England. You will be drawn into Linda's story, she says, which will keep you turning the pages. You will want to know what happened to her and how she survived the unthinkable sexual abuse by her mother. But this is more than just a recounting of terrible childhood traumas. It is insightful and pithy, and it brings you into a world the majority of us have thankfully never experienced. It is a hidden world which we need to know about and understand. Saying enough is important not only for survivors who will be comforted to know they are not alone, but also for their families, professionals, and anyone who cares about children. When I began writing in the 1980s about sexual abuse, Michelle said, of children, there was disbelief that anyone could do such things to children and babies. Those of us who were declared as experts decided that sexual abuse was perpetrated by men and was the result of male power. Therefore, women could not be sexual abusers of children, even though we knew that women battered, emotionally abused, and sometimes killed children, but sexually abused? No. Many years later, when I was speaking at a conference, a young man approached me and with tears in his eyes said, you know it isn't only men who do this. That brought me up short, she said, and I started asking audiences on radio and television if any of them had been sexually abused by a woman. The response was overwhelming. Hundreds came forward saying they thought they were the only ones that had been abused by mothers, aunts, grandmothers, babysitters. So I wrote a book, Michelle says, and her book is called Female Sexual Abuse of Children with their stories and was attacked by my fellow experts for doing such a disservice to women. That is history, but it is true that today sexual abuse by women is still rarely spoken of or written about by professionals or those who are survivors. Michelle says, I'm impressed that Linda Day has had the fortitude and will to write, sane enough. She is an inspiration to us all. Signed, Michelle Elliott, OBE Kidscape, keeping kids safe. Linda, um, this is going to really, really be such an enlightening interview. For those of you who don't believe, don't want to believe that women are capable of such things because women don't have... Penises as such But women are very creative And women are supposed to be As what they say When they're mothers They're supposed to be nurturers There are some women That that switch does not come on for They are not nurturers And when a woman is not a nurturer As she's supposed to be As she was designed to be And created to be Then what is the opposite of nurturer It is to be a destroyer And when a woman is incapable of nurturing her children or anyone else, then she becomes a destroyer of those people. And the way that a woman can destroy an individual and a child is so deep, so intense, and so mind-numbing that it's easy to just walk away from even the thought that this is a possibility. Well I have Linda Day on the show. She survived her mother's sexual abuse. I have myself on the show. I survived family members who were female sexual abuse. So there's two of us. We're from different generations. We're from different parts of the country. We're just we're here and we're seeing Two women are on this show, and we're telling you that it's true. And there are other people that have attested to it. So if this has happened to you, if this is happening to you, feel free. Speak up. Join me in the conversation on LinkedIn. My name is Patricia E. Adams on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. And I've had people reach out to me there, Linda Day, if you want to tell us how people can reach you before we get too deeply into the conversation please feel free to do <clears throat>
0: that uh, Hi yeah um, well you can reach me through my website which is sainenough.com s-a-n-e hyphen enough e-n-o-u-g-h dot com and there is a contact form there there's also a little more about the book um, so that's one way to reach me um it's probably the best way to get started uh and I always <clears throat> I get the emails that come through that site and I always respond um and if there's if the conversation gets lengthy then I can give give you my uh personal email address uh but let's start that way for now Okay
1: that's that's great Now I want to just Tell you about the 24 chapters that's inside of Linda's book. And don't go by the number of chapters and say, oh no, that's too many chapters. Because a lot of people read long, long, thick books. Linda's book is not one like that. She's covering 24 topics. And of our 24 topics, the first one is The Note, 1978. The second one is Orbit. 1944, the third is Lost Angel. the fourth is Experiment, number five is Connection, 2001, number six is Hormones, number seven, The Kiss, number eight, Fish, Camera, Plane, number nine, Coming Loose, number 10, Swimming with Sharks, number 11, Going Straight, number 12, Falling in Love, number 13, Friends, number 14, Magic Show, number 15, Dowsing, Number 16, More Than One Me. Number 17, Fantasy. Number 18, Rocks. Number 19, What I Know. 20, Getting It. 21, (laughs) You Can't Have My ASS. 22, One Last Try. 23, Endings and Beginnings. 24, The Villain Revealed. Now, Linda, I know which way I want to go. Tell me which one of these do you want to go? Into first.
0: Well, I I wrote this book. I finished it a couple of years ago, and I haven't actually sat down and reread it because the book sort of got all of this stuff out of my mind. And I'm currently starting over fresh and clean in life, so that's good. Um, and so, I mean, basically, the book is a memoir, so it's. It's a chronological story of my life i'm I'm not a researcher i'm not an expert in the field i'm a i'm a writer I was a freelance writer for twenty five years before i retired um so this book is really the culmination of of my writing career in a way although when i when I worked i was a marketing writer um, and so so it's a memoir. It's my experience. People who read it say that it's really painful and difficult to read uh, because it's all out there. Um, well, not all. I mean, you have to keep something to yourself, right? But, um, <laughs> yeah. You, um, <clears throat> so uh, it's, it's one person's experience. And it's interesting. Uh, a friend of mine who's a writer also, I mean, she's published novels. And she read the book for me. You know, she was one of my readers who read it and had suggestions. Um, and she said, well, Linda, she says, it's really, you know, it's well written and all that. It's just not my kind of book. Not, It's not. It's really not my kind of book. It's not my, up my alley. And then sometime later, as so we got to be a little better friends, she told me that her mother was still giving her enemas on the kitchen table when she was 14 years old and the maid was holding her down um so you know it was her kind of book actually uh but it's interesting the denial that people have because it's just so not okay mothers are right up there with god and country and flags and hot dogs and apple pie um and you don't you don't expect them to show this kind of behavior and like Michelle Elliott says, we all know that mothers can kill and strangle and do all kinds of other heinous things, but you don't expect them to be sexual violators. Um, so, And I didn't either. I was 52 when I figured it out. And if you had asked me in my young younger years, how what's your family like? I would have said, oh, we were a normal, happy family. Uh, so it can go on. It can go on and not be aware of it. I mean, obviously, the thing was my mother was abusing to me from the time I was born, I think, until I was about four uh, or five, uh, sort of at the age of memory, when she quit the overt behavior um, and sort of went underground, if you will. I mean, uh, when I was 60-something, she was still, uh, and I finally... Got it up and told her, "You cannot slap my fanny anymore. That's my butt, and I don't want your hands on it." And she said, "I'm your mother. I can touch you anywhere I want." Um, so the mentality was still going on. She was still felt free to to grab, you know, slap, grab, whatever, uh, wherever she wanted. But it wasn't the kind of thing that would that would say, "Oh, this is sexual abuse." You know, "This is I, I'm your mother. I can touch you wherever I want." Um, so it was different from probably a lot of people who have more, uh, violent experiences. Um, and I, I remember meeting another woman. I was on my way to a writer's workshop and, uh, and she, she lived in San Francisco. This workshop was at Big Sur and she picked me up. I, so I got a ride down there After I got into the airport And really nice And I, t- I told her the book I was working on And she said Well, I wonder if my mother abused me Because I never wanted to be around her I never wanted her near me And I've, I've never liked sex uh, And it's like Well, there you go You know, it's uh, It's deep I mean, Early violation from From a mother It goes very deep And sometimes it's easy to paper that over. Um, One time uh, I walked in and saw my, when I was a little kid, I was about eight, and my mother was basically playing with, molesting, violating, whatever, my sister, who was about four. Um, And she had Laurel on on, on a table, as I remember. I mean, it was kind of seared in my brain there. Uh, and she was playing doctor and inserting uh, some kind of uh, orange capsule into her vagina. And I said, uh, I was shocked, of course, because this was sort of behind closed doors. And I just walked in, and there was this tableau. I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm treating your sister for an infection. She has an infection. And I said, how did you know? I mean, because how would a, you know? She says, "Oh well, she had left deposits in her underwear." I mean, let's talk creepy here. Um, and you know, I was I was I was terrified. What if she saw she she decided my underwear was not up to snuff, as it were, and and wanted to come after me? So that you know that stuck in my brain. Um, and I, I remember a, a long time of terror before I got over worrying about whether she was going to come after me, but then it, then I pushed that away. I didn't even think about it, and so by the time I was like 50, um, I started putting all the pieces together, uh, and there's other things, but um, and that was when I figured out the the breadth and depth of what had gone on, and basically how damaging it had been because being molested sexually when you're totally not you know your body's not wired for it when you're when you're zero to five years old um uh has has deep uh repercussions um and it's interesting that my sister never admitted that happened to her. And I told her much later, and my sister reported it to my mother. She had this symbiotic relationship with mom. She talked to her frequently, you know, was really sort of joined at the hip to mother, but never actually wanted to be around her. She lived in Oakland. My mother and father were in uh, California, Um and so she called every week, talked mom's ear off, um, but never would go, never wanted to go out there and actually be around her, and never admitted that anything had happened, and meanwhile became a sexual addict and an alcoholic and died from alcoholism uh, when she was 61. So there are consequences Um there, there are consequences to this if you don't admit it and work through it. I mean, I feel like I'm the survivor here, and I was blessed to survive when my sister didn't. I mean, that's a start, Pat. I don't. Where else you want to go here? What? What? Do you, what?
1: Yeah. I just, I didn't want to interrupt you. Sure. I just well, you, you can, know, can interrupt. This is just a, um, a natural conversation that we're having. And I'm, I'm visual, so I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm visualizing what you're, what you're talking about. It's painting a picture for me. And this is, this is the power that a mother has with a child. It's normally not questioned about a mother touching a child uh, anywhere. Anywhere. Because we were always taught in school to be aware of strangers. Don't let strangers, don't talk to strangers, don't go anywhere with strangers, don't do anything with strangers. But mothers and fathers, you know, will do you no harm. You can trust them. That's what we're taught, that's what we're told. And that's what society expects. And I believe that that's that's kind of like where we are with what you just said, that you looked like a model family on the outside. And so what was projected on the outside was different from what was projected on the inside. And there was no one on the inside to call that into question as being wrong or being inappropriate or don't do that because a mother is supposed to be able to touch her child wherever she wants, just like you said, whether it's a good touch or a bad touch. Nobody questions that. Because after all, this is this child's mother. This is this child's father. So here, when you talk about um, Orbit, 1944, you kind of, you know, talk through the beginning of your mother's relationship of how she went about deciding who she was going to marry, and so I'm gathering that your mother's name is was Bernadette.
0: Yes. Uh huh.
1: Okay, so that means that she married Wes. So you know, she went. You you told the story about how she eliminated different people out of her life that. She thought she was going to marry, and she ended up marrying someone else. And so Bernadette and Wes (laughs) Wes were your parents, right? Yes. Okay. So then now you go into that, and it's like she's ready to have a baby almost immediately, and Wes wants to wait until they're more financially secure. And uh-huh. so it, it says um, here in this part says soon I'm on the way, an unattractive baby of the wrong sex who screams most of the time. And you say that because your mother had been knitting a blue baby sweater. So she was well, one, a boy.
0: Well, see, all of this is really based on stories that mother taught told me later on many sure. times. Um, so I'm... You know there's there's dialogue in there, obviously, I can't remember that when I was three years old. I made so that is put together to kind of convey the stories that my mother told me and a story that that she told me was <clears throat> that she always told me she was or and told anybody who even came close to the subject was that I was a, a an u- ugly baby um and I had a birthmark on my on my jaw, which was. Pretty awful, I guess she thought, um, and that I screamed a lot, and apparently she didn't have she didn't have enough milk, so that could have been i mean she ended up having to go to baby bottles when she started out nursing me but so uh so that may have been why I was screaming uh but the story was that when the uh when the nurses brought me to her, I was a newborn baby uh and <clears throat> with just, you know, newborn babies aren't necessarily pretty. Their hair is kind of slicked down. I had apparently a lot of hair. Uh, and she said, oh, she's ugly. I don't want her take her back and wouldn't take me. So the nurses had to take me back and clean me up and fix my hair and put a bow in it and brought me back. And then she agreed to take me, you know. So she, she, just, she didn't have a whole outflowing of motherly, Whatever, and I think she did I think they did want a boy. Um, I mean, why would she knit a blue sweater? Why not say yellow and be sort of sexless? You know? Um, so that was I mean, that's just the beginning. I think, you know, bonding is really important. I think. A mother is, and the baby need to bond right away, and that's what enables good things to happen later. And so if that process doesn't happen for whatever reason, then then you're going uphill. Uh. Hmm.
1: And then, you know, you, you go from that to saying, okay, well, just what you just said, you say that after three weeks of trying to breastfeed you, she stops and she goes to bottles and formula. And, when you say, if taking care of me is a trial, when her mother comes to visit your grandmother from Baltimore, it makes it worse. And and the way that you say that the difference between Grandma Nina and your mother Bernadette is like polar opposites. And it's an invasion. It's, It's a domination of your mother. So whereas You are, you know, an innocent baby, an innocent child, and your mother is dominating you. When her mother comes, she's dominating her. And, but the way, the things that you're saying that she's doing, she's like, look, you know, she's, you know, to to your grandma Nina, she's pregnant, so I'm going to help organize her life. I'm going to clean the kitchen. I'm going to. Change where she's got the pots and the pans, so she won't have to bend over. I'm gonna move the dishes over here. I put the glasses over here to make it all convenient for her, so she won't have to bend well, over. But well,
0: so that that part of the chapter, I'm really, I mean, I'm really curious where my mother got the whole abusive approach to children or to females. Um, <clears throat> uh, so so that's kind of one way to try and explore that. I mean. Most of the time, abusers have been abused. I mean, somebody who had a nice childhood, who had a loving childhood, who had people who understood them and and were sympathetic and empathetic, don't grow up to be child abusers. I really don't think so. Um, They may grow up to be petty thieves if they get really hungry and don't have a job, but uh, uh, child abusers are, by and large, have been abused themselves if they remember it or not. And so I was looking to see, you know, I've I've never been sure where, who abused my mother or how that happened. Uh, My grandmother was kind of a battle axe. She was a force of nature. I never knew her well because my mother hated her, okay? Um, and, And that was something interesting, too, because at one time when I was a teenager, she told me, I hate my mother. I don't know why. I, I pray about it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hate her, but I just hate her. And and then when she got old and, and more senile, slightly senile, and was trying to recast everything as a rosy life, she said, oh, I love my mother. We were very close. So that was just interesting. And I think my grandmother, I know my mother hated to have my grandmother visit because uh, – because my grandmother had her own way of doing everything, and she would just do it her own way. And that annoyed the heck out of my mother, who was also very controlling. I mean, I suppose I'm controlling too, my God, you know. I grew up with it. Um, But anyway, so that's what that little story is about. Obviously, I don't know if that happened, but that's something that might have happened. Or it just sort of, the idea is to reflect the fact that my grandmother was overbearing, and my mother hated her. So, uh that's where that's where that goes. And I think I think that's important to recognize is that your abuser um you know has been abused. It doesn't really excuse it because you don't have to abuse children just because you were abused. You you can you know, you cannot do that, but uh if if you're not dealing with it, and my mother never admitted she'd made a mistake. She never admitted if she was wrong. She just didn't. That wasn't something that happened. Um, and it was always somebody else's fault. So that's also very hard to live with. And it still bothers me when I meet people who can't admit they're wrong. It makes me a little bit crazy. Not really crazy, but annoyed. Um, so that's, that's the background on that.
1: Um, It's very, um, that chapter, the Orbit chapter is filled with conflict between your mother and her mother. There's, There's just an awful lot of disagreement on a lot of things. And so your mom is going by a book she wrote on how to be a mother. And well, she's going was on telling,
0: this. Oh, it was some doctor, I can't remember the name yeah. right now, but he was famous it's, back in the day.
1: Right, and so she said, um, "Doctor Gis, Dr. Giselle." Giselle, Giselle. Who is this? Real strict Giselle, German. G i s e l l e. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And she was. Yeah, but then it's like your grandmother says, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then your mom comes back and says, well, the pediatrician says I should do it this way. And then your grandmother says, well, the pediatrician doesn't know what he's talking about either. So this is how you raise a child. This is what you need to do. And your grandmother says, you know, the last time I was here for a visit, the baby cried for three weeks. And you did nothing to stop the baby from crying. And she says, well, that's what I needed to do, you know, because if I go and get her every time that she cries or every time that she whimpers, then I'll never get any rest. And so the pediatrician told me that that was okay to do that. So it's, it's a differing of opinion. So I'm, I'm trying to really understand the grandmother as well as your mom in the situation because there's there's this tension that, you know, you get in reading this about the relationship between the two of them. And then, you know, you interject other people in the neighborhood and all that. And so you go through being sick and you go through, you know, telling them, you know, sterilized toys and all this kind of stuff. And you're going back and forth. And then you say, now my dad, here you start to bring your dad in. And said, now my dad works downtown in New York City. He has avoided the military in World War II by selling oil, deemed a critical skill, from his office window in the RCA building. He sees a small airplane that crashes into the Empire State Building. That is interesting. That's yeah, really interesting. it was a tiny but, you know, plane.
0: I, it was not a terrorist plot. It was just some push of No, no, no but I it. didn't it even
1: was... know that that had even happened. That's, yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't like, well, that big I have deal. To no, I know, but it's just still, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know about that, um, you know, historically, like, nobody, it's like, the 9-11 is the first time, I, you know, ever heard about any planes being crashed into in in New York, but this is interesting, so in those days, uh, it was, <laughs> um, it was an accident, the plane was destroyed, but he brings home tales of adventure and achievement from his travels, um, so he's, Your father, you said, also is a photographer. There is a picture of you in this chapter, and it is the cutest picture for me. You have on, like, your little uh, overall, your pinstripe overalls, and you've got Mm -hmm. chickpeas, a, a, a bag of, not a bag, but, like, just a little package of chickpeas. And the chickens are gathered around you, and your little hair is curly, and you just have this big smile on your face because they're coming to you for these chickpeas and I well, that said that's really adorable so did your father take that picture
0: uh yeah i'm sure he, he must have he was a photographer
1: okay
0: uh that was i mean that's another interesting thing um and i think the difference between myself and my sister um you know that i survived and she didn't really um was that i knew uh the old lady next door who seemed old to me at that time. I, don't, I think she was probably in her 50s. Um, Heavyset uh, woman in a flower dress named Mrs. Chenu. Uh, she, and she lived by herself. Her son was off in the Philippines at war. I think her husband had divorced her. And she just loved me. I was her little flower. And I went over every afternoon, and she'd give me a bologna sandwich. I could rock in her lap. Uh, we would play jump rope together. If you can imagine a, a little four-year-old and a and a large <laughs> overweight lady jumping rope, um, and uh, we'd have tea. You know, make up tea sets, and and we'd nap together. And uh, so she was like heaven, and she was a safe lap to sit in. Um, my mother used to complain I never wanted to sit in her lap. Well, if I sat in her lap, her hands were going to be someplace, um, probably up my leg. Uh, I mean, in fact, even as an adult, when I would be in the, in the car with my folks, we'd be driving someplace, and my mother would be reaching back, you know, feeling up my leg. Uh, I was would be sitting in the seat, say, behind her. Laurel and I, my sister and I, used to fight to not have to sit behind Mom. I mean, we didn't talk about it. It wasn't like, why do you not want to sit there? But we both knew we didn't want to sit there because we didn't want to be felt up while they were driving around. I'm getting off the track here. So anyway. No, this, no, this, we're, we're on track. Well, Mrs. Chenu was this really kindly motherly presence. She was my soul mother. And I think that that bit of love I got from her, we moved away when I was uh, four and a half or five. So I, I knew her, you know, was old enough to know her for maybe two years and that really made the difference in my life just one person who was loving and kind and warm uh gave me enough actual love to to survive uh, my sister was four years younger than me so uh, we were I was born in New York City at Flushing it's a part it's on the uh, in Queens, I no, yeah, uh, Queens, not in the downtown New York. But um, and we moved from there to Cleveland. So my sister was a baby when we moved. So she never knew Mrs. Chanute, and the only mother she knew was was mother, um, and that did not give her enough to survive on. I mean, her life was. She's a really bright girl. She. Worked for IBM. Well, she was an airline stewardess and slept her way around the country. And then she worked for IBM, and her goal was to sleep her way to the top of the company. And she did make it as far as a regional manager. Um, and then she quit there and went to work for various software firms, and each one was on a lower rung. And she finally, um, well, she sold. Children's furniture for a while at a warehouse and and then she basically ended up on disability and 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 welfare uh until she died from the alcoholism uh, so you know if you've if you've got somebody in your past who was loving and kind uh, that can that can be a huge bulwark. I did a little project to try and find mrs chenu um at one point, and I I found where she had moved, and I talked to her granddaughter over the phone, who didn't remember her very well. But, uh, so, that was that. But anyway, that was the whole, that was the one bright part about living in New York. And I, there's a story about when we left New York... Um, yeah, I don't know. You want me to go on with this? I'm just, I'm talking here.
1: No, keep going. Uh, keep going. Uh,
0: so, and I really do remember this. I was really young. You know, I was four something. Um, and my parents were putting everything in cardboard boxes. And, I mean, I didn't know what was going on. What do you know when you're four? So uh, they said, well, let's go over and say goodbye to Mrs. Chenu. And it's like, what? What? Um... And they took me, uh, both of them, you know, one on each side, kind of took me over to Mrs. Chenu's house and said, well, we're moving to Cleveland, and uh, we thought we'd just come by and say goodbye. I know what a friend you've been to, Linda, uh, and we wanted to thank you before we leave. And I, this is like totally out of the blue for me. This was just, my mother was always jealous of Mrs. Chenu, right? So this was her little way to get even so uh and I'm thinking oh mrs chano, don't let me- t- don't let them take me, don't let them take me um and mrs. Channo gave me uh, at that she started giving me stuff at that th- at that time when my parents had me there uh, uh she gave me a phone uh, uh- little phone a child's chair from Vienna that's an antique it was probably old even then and Uh, I still have it. And she gave me a cowrie shell with the Lord's Prayer engraved on it. Uh, It's really beautiful. And she said that that was a gift from her son who had sent it from the war. He was off in World War II. This This was during World War II all this happened. And he was off fighting and had sent her this shell with the Lord's Prayer. And it was really precious because... Uh, I had admired it before, and she said, well, that's something I can't give you because it's from my son, and it's really precious. Uh, so she gave me that, and I still have that. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't discover that till I was in my 30s, and it was like a love time bomb because I didn't – so when my parents dragged me away and when she didn't rescue me, when she didn't step in and say, you can't take this child, Linda's a little flower, and you can't have her um, – that was another one of my mother's story that Mrs. Chenu said I was a little flower and wasn't that a joke. Um, so it was like she had betrayed me, and, and I forgot about her. I put her out of my mind. I did not remember her for another 30-some years um, because that – and really, she did – you know, of course, she didn't betray me. But my mother, uh, you know – really rubbed it in. That was her way of getting even with Mrs. Chenu. She just snatched me up, took me off, and went by to say this sanctimonious, uh, oh, thank you so much for looking after little Linda. It was such a trial. Um, anyway, um, so that was...
1: You said this about Mrs. Chenu and you said, uh, I do not know enough to think of Mrs. Ch- Mrs. Chenu as God in my life, but I think that if Jesus were visiting, he would want to take his nap. With Mrs. Chenue as I do, and share a bologna sandwich. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah,
1: that was what it felt like. Wow, so. that's powerful. That's powerful. So, in the midst of that, um, you go on and you start talking about your sister's birth, and her name was Laurel, right? Yeah. And I want to make a correction. When you were feeding the chickpeas, you were feeding pigeons, and not chickens. I apologize.
0: Yeah, Mrs. Um, so that had and the pigeons, the pigeons had belonged to her son. And so that was, a, a, and I have a picture of Mrs. Chenu. I think that's in the book too. Maybe not. Should have been. I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, but yeah, so I would go over and feed her pigeons. So, okay.
1: Now, I feel, I feel in in here where, like, when Laurel comes in um, and you say Laurel is the baby, you know, that she wanted, and she took Laurel everywhere, and she had enough milk for Laurel. You were six pounds and something, and Laurel was eight pounds. And um, she just seems to, like, dote on Laurel Hmm. more than you. Because the way that you say this, and, and, and the reason why i'm I'm bringing this up is because there's something that happens with there's the black sheep and then there's the golden child.
0: Well, when you know a,
1: a mother is abusing it's like you have to create a, a, a divisiveness between your children right so that you can isolate each of them and give exactly. them each a different experience so right. You have, you, you know what I'm saying. So what you interpreted as her preferring Laurel to you—that you know Laurel was more attractive, her milk came in, she wasn't sick with Laurel, she could take Laurel anywhere. You know she just doted on Laurel, but in reality was actually a way of programming you and Laurel. So were you and Laurel really close? It's oh
0: heavens! No, no, you're right. You're totally on the mark there, Patricia. Um, uh, and it was true. I mean, Laurel. So I was a skinny baby and and hungry, and skinny babies aren't as pretty as uh, as chubby babies. Laura was a chubby baby, and she had a really gregarious, outgoing, cheerful disposition. I'm more introspective. Um, and Laurel was really beautiful. I mean, she was a beautiful woman. Uh, just no way, no two ways about that. Um, and so, you know, Mother made a great show of being, treating everybody equally. Um, but uh, that's really, but yeah, everything was done to keep us separate. Um hmm you know, and it's it's hard to put my finger on exactly what she did, but I think separate punishments uh, and probably just your observation here is very astute. I think. Uh, well, let me because Laurel and add I were another, never.
1: Close. Yeah, yeah, and that was intentional. That was intentional, but add another dynamic to that, okay? And then on your father, your father. I want to go back just a little bit because some of the things you said about your father being a photographer, it was the times when you said you witnessed and you saw as a child your father basically taking pornographic pictures of your mom. And, you know, I didn't witness And that was that. the only time.
0: No, I didn't witness that. But later when, when they were really old in retirement home and I went to visit them and dad said, well, I have a lot of film here. I never uh you know I developed the film, but I never printed the pictures if you want this, you can mm-hmm. have it and he gave me these uh film cartridges with packed negatives from from uh, photographs he'd taken, so it was all these uh-huh. negatives so um i got'em i got' them in law i got them enlarged and and printed some of them so, okay, so yeah, I printed contact sheets and then from them i i printed the pictures and there's uh yeah there he took pictures of mother naked in the shower and mother masturbating on the porch while i was in the crib at the at the far end kind of uh hanging okay. onto the bars and screaming probably uh, so i mean not super pornographic but pretty risqué but that's maybe the kinds of pictures I don't know. I never did that myself, but obviously, it seems to be popular these days with all these high school kids getting their
1: yeah their bodies We won't shown touch that. Facebook. That's that's for another time. Yeah, <laughs> really, boy, bad. don't
0: do that. You, you know.
1: Yeah, if you think about this, because when I, when I have that in my memory, and then when you come over and you look at where he's basically saying. You know, you don't feel, often feel stupid around your daddy. He likes to make jokes about you, and well, he you feel somehow he, safe. But yeah, his, he, his, he, here's one thing right here, Linda. Right here, and he, you know, he says, but he never spanks me unless mommy tells him to. Now, so think about think about the uh, the pecking order, if you would. I, I don't. Oh, like oh, to say the pecking, pecking order. Was very clear. My dad was a boss yes. at
0: Shell, but he was a peon at home. And the other thing uh-huh. that really is in the background here is, and the camera is an interesting uh, metaphor because I think he didn't really engage into life so much as watch it or not, even, or or not pay attention. So taking a picture was a way for him to kind of engage, but but he had almost no relationship with either. Laurel or myself Uh, he was the furniture in the house Um, and he and mother were very formal and stiff with each other you didn't see virtually no affection openly shared Um, so he just wasn't comfortable I don't think he was comfortable around women and he certainly wasn't comfortable around girls and he said and I think this is in there somewhere but something like well I'll I'll talk to them when they can talk, have an intelligent conversation. He told me this actually I was in my 30s and visiting them and he said well I just figured I'd talk to you when you could have an intelligent conversation. I'm still waiting you know because he was a diehard Republican and I'm not. Um, so uh so he was just unattached. I don't think he had any clue what was going on uh because he just didn't pay attention and it, i mean when it all when the excrement finally hit the fan uh much later uh when he was in his he was eighty probably uh he was just surprised he had no idea.
1: So. but ah, uh, you know I'm gonna, save okay. that for it. I'm gonna save that for later because I could say something about that now but I think it would take us, you know, somewhere else. But what what I what I'm seeing in the pattern of like the dynamic of Nina dominating your mom. But your mom Bernadette. Is dominating you, Wes and Laurel. Yeah. And but she's keeping you guys apart. She's not really trying to build that bond between father and daughters. Or no, no, no family bond. Let Yeah. So even to have the affection of your father's, you know, love is like it's it's kind of uh, dictated. It's kind of like a dictated love. Yeah. And, and she's telling him how he should behave and what he should do with, with you all. And then now she doesn't want anybody to tell her how she should behave with you, Laurel, or your father. And so she's you're all in the same house, but you're separate. Yeah. You're actually living, you know, you're having a separate experience. So when your father is now 80 years old, she didn't have the same experience that you had and Laurel had with your mother. Because like you said, you saw your mother abusing Laurel, but Laurel would never own that. But because Laurel never went to be with her, says something because she preferred Laurel, but Laurel never wanted to be with her. So That says to me the fact that she became an alcoholic, that she drowned and she basically didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to acknowledge it. She didn't want to admit it. And her way of dealing with what happened to her was to not be around her mother anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then for your father to give you all of those images, it's like... When you go back to them dating, it it takes me back to when when she was choosing who she wanted to be with. You know, she had several options of other people that she could have married, right? But she chose with. She chose to accept him, and I believe because she saw in him someone that she could do what it was that she really wanted to do. And that was she wanted to be the one who was the dominant side.
0: Oh yeah, yeah
1: that's so, probably yeah. So so much to his discredit in that instance is that he believed that he was getting what he wanted, the prize that he wanted. But in reality, she was comparing all the other options that she had and figured that she would stand a better chance to do her life the way that she wanted to do her life with Wes. Do you know? So it's like he, like you said, he was a peon at home, but he was a success in the office. But that's intentional. That's intentional. Uh, Just as intentional as it was for her to make you and Laurel not be close. It was also intentional for um, you not to have that close relationship and Laurel not to have that close relationship with your father because then it's like her word right. is the dominant word, and it's your word against her and da-da-da, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. So you, create, yeah, yeah. you know, you create that triangulation to where she's the centerpiece of it all, and she's pulling the strings on that. So now when you get past, you know, Mrs. Chanoo, I mean, you, you really, really, I think now after you had realized that she didn't betray you, she becomes almost like a centerpiece in your life because it's your reflection on what you know and when you felt safe, when you felt comforted, when you felt loved, when you felt nurtured. You referred to Mrs. Chenu, and Mrs. Chenu was like, if God exists and if Jesus is real, then it must be like this, You know, being in Mrs. Chenu's map and eating bologna sandwich. And I think that um, for a child to be able to navigate that, You know, I don't dismiss that at all. I think that that um, was that point. You did go to church. She did dress you up and take you to church. And I, you know, saw where she would make you things. So she was, you know, handy and crafty. She was was
0: very, she was super attentive and super really intrusive, but in a kind of classical sense in terms of, I mean, she made my clothes up, into high school, and I was always the oddly dressed girl, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, <clears throat> until I finally realized that, I, you know, these strange clo- clothes she was sewing was not helping me get along with other kids. Uh, she had, she did a, she made a straight, a straight skirt for me out of this nasty colored olive tweed, and the seams were uh, at each hip, and then across, and then down each butt cheek. So there were four seams in the skirt, two in the front on the hips and two in the back over the butt. And there were pleats at the bottom of these seams, and the zipper was hidden in one of the seams. So here I am, the only kid in high school, with a zipper. It's not at the side and not at the back, but over my butt cheek. And with people coming up saying, oh, Linda, your skirt is twisted, you know. No, it isn't. My mother just made this weird thing. Uh, And I was too – I was – I was a nerd. I was smart. I was uh, in books and stuff. So I just was clueless. And then in high school, when I finally really wanted to kind of be like other kids, it was it was a it was an uphill climb pay attention to what people were wearing and what how they were acting. So I still do that now.
1: Let's let let's now let's apply that. So here here is the here is the control outside of the house. So she is comfortable with how she's controlling things internally, right? Mm -hmm. She's also controlling the outside image that she has, but she's also isolating you. I mean, I see it. She's also isolating you so that you don't bond in the community. You don't bond in school. You don't bond in the neighborhood. So she's really, like, making sure that you don't have anybody that you can confide in, that you can trust, that you can go to because you stick out. You know, you're different and you don't fit in. So you don't fit in at home and you don't fit in in the community and you don't fit in in school. The only place you really had a fit was with Mrs. Chenu. So she said, Mrs. Chenu said, you know, Linda is a little flower. Don't you step on her. Now, That says to me that Mrs. Cheneau was aware of your mom. Oh, I think so. That she saw. You see what I'm saying? Is Because she said, don't you step on her. She's a little flower. Don't you step on her. And then your mom got upset with her. And then she reminded you constantly, I know Mrs. Cheneau said you were a little flower-like, but really? So you're, you're not a flower to me, so therefore I can step on you. I can do whatever I want to with you. Right. Well, she didn't so, say that,
0: but that was her attitude. No, she but her was jealous did. of it. Yeah, yeah, and she was jealous yeah. of Mrs. Chanute because yeah. obviously I like Mrs. Chanute better than her.
1: But you had a relationship, and she didn't want you to have a relationship. Yes, she didn't exactly. really want to have a relationship with you. She didn't want you to have a relationship with your father or with your sister or with anybody in the community because that, that's a pedophile, that's a predator. Because the more that they can control you, your conversation, your actions, the people who are in touch with you, the people that you're interacting with, the more they can continue to abuse you. And because who do you go to? You have no one. At this point, you have not really all the way up to high school had a bond with anyone that you could consider other than Mrs. Chenu, someone you could confide in. But what happens You're uprooted from Mrs. Chenu And you're relocated So now you don't even have that connection Right You only have that in your heart So now you're know, you you're, you're navigating life And your mother has basically Put you in a position That You don't You don't have
0: I'm not voice. an independent person Yeah
1: yeah, you don't and No, you don't that's have a
0: exactly true. I was. That was exactly true. I didn't, it was all sort of subtle, I didn't really realize it at the time. But, yeah, she was. Uh, yeah. She that's was the grooming
1: a, of a pedophile. That's the grooming of a pedophile. That's the grooming of a predator is to isolate. I mean, they have to isolate you so they can control the dialogue, so they can control the story, they can control the image. And they are very patient. And tedious and detailed in the way that they make this happen. So we are running out of time, and I could talk to you on and on and on and on. Oh, about I know. This. This, oh, um, uh, this is real. And, I mean, this is right on the money here. But, but this it's, is why I mean, was saying to you that I really did. I I wanted just to talk. You know, just like we're just sitting down in person talking, and this is a conversation that I would have with you in person, just. To really, really get to the core of this, and I would love for you to come back so we could unpack this some more. Um, you, this does not have to be your last time, you know, on the show. And I would absolutely love it if you would say yes and you know be a recurring guest on this and let us unpack this and really, really well.
0: There's
1: you know get there's into there's a lot
0: it. more to there's a lot more to cover. For example. I mean one important thing for people who've had who think this might have happened to them uh is it's very difficult to get people to believe your story. Uh a dear friend of mine a guy uh who I'd known for years and years and he knew me I'm an honest person I'm I am who I you know I'm right out there uh, and so I I let him read the book it wasn't completely finished but So he read it, and his take on it was, well, I I just think you're mad at your mother, and you've made up the story to make her look evil, um, basically. Uh, And he thought I'd made it up. Now, how do you make up this kind of detail? Seriously, I don't – and then I I signed up for a Kirkus review. I paid my $650 and was assured that, oh, yes, they had people in all all, – genres of books and it would be received sensitively and he was a complete excuse me butthole um and savaged the book i said it was you know uh that i was a master at my writing craft that was nice and then he tore the plot apart recounted it upside down and inside out and made me sound like a wacko uh i couldn't use that review and i i I confronted them. I said, "Here's errors in fact in his review. The plot did not happen this way. It's not like this." And I got nowhere. I mean, nowhere. Um, so that was just money down the toilet. It's uh, if you know if you've had this happen to you and you think people are going to believe you, uh, some of them will, and a lot some of them won't. You know, it's a very demoralizing experience. Anyway, sure, I'd be glad. I'll come back again. Sure, no
1: no problem. Thank you so much. And so we still have some more time, but it's like there is no way that we're going to get through the whole book. Um, oh God, no. You know, during during this show. So I definitely want you to come back and be a part of the conversation because right now we're it's like going in the direction that we're going in. We're literally building the framework because now even you and us just having this conversation, you're starting to get some more insight. And I'm hoping that it will reignite you to do a follow-up to this book because um, there are things now that I think that after, you know, having this conversation and us talking about it that have really maybe turned on some things in your mind. And I think that maybe they will come even further and go later more in depth on, on this topic. And um, I I don't. In my opinion, you're not done. You're you're really not done. Well, I'm I'm talking to you, but I have
0: no intention of writing anything else about this. I'm really done with that. But I mean, we've only scratched the surface of the book, and I'm happy to talk about that. If it helps somebody, I mean, yeah, I'm not eager. I don't tell people about my past. If I meet new people, I just don't. And it's interesting; nobody cares. Nobody asks. And so you know, don't ask, don't tell. Well, I care. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, if somebody said so something, nobody like this in their past, then I will happily talk. I, I, as I say, I answer all the emails through my through my website at sane enoughcom dot uh, com. So I mean, if you want to correspond, if anyone wants to correspond, they are certainly welcome to, and I will respond. Uh, but and I'm happy to help other people, but I'm. Done spending my life mucking around in the past. So, but thank you for the opportunity here, and I will we
1: still uh, talk have to you some
0: time
1: again. We still have some. We still have some more well, time. It's,
0: well, okay, so, so if the you show keep says. Talking. Well, the show says fifty. It was set for two hours, but I two hours is a long time. Okay. Well, if you want to
1: answer, can, I'm, I'm looking. Okay, I'm looking at a picture of your mom and your dad with Chip the dog and Laurel and you yeah. on Christmas oh, yeah. morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really that's that's something. It's amazing that you're you know the children. And I'm going to say this, and, and and we can cut off. Is that the children are posed away from mom and dad, and mom is. Basically, the dog is in front of mom, and a toy is in front of your father, and Laurel is positioned next to, is, is like third, and then you're fourth in this, in this picture, if I look at it, from mother to child. So instead of, instead of the children being in front of the parents, the, the dog, a toy, are in front of the parents hmm. as they're posing yeah. for this picture. And, and it's something to think about, something to think yeah. about. But yeah. I want to thank you for your time. I really do. I want to thank you so much for your time. And I'll reach out to you again and see what's your availability for follow-up and, um, so that we can continue to unpack this. And you've been listening to Linda Day, author of Saying Enough, Recovering from a Mother's Sexual Abuse on Patricia Adams' Live. And we welcome you to reach out to Linda. Again, would you say how people can reach you?
0: Yeah. uh, Okay. Well, first, let me say the book is available on Amazon, and it's also on Kindle. And you could probably order it through a bookstore. I mean, I did the whole nine yards in terms of making it available. Um, And uh, you can reach me through my website at sane-enough.com. There's a contact form there that will send me an email, and I will respond to emails. So
1: Okay, and sane or, is spelled S-A-N-E, S-A-N-E, sane enough, sane hyphen enough, S-A-N-E hyphen enough, e n o u g hcom is her website, and she is also on Amazon, and you can get the book in the Kindle store, or you can go to your local Theoretically, you
0: go to your local
1: yeah brick and mortar, but
0: you'd yeah. have to order it, you know, because it's a right, it's right. print on demand, but if you want right? The
1: paperback, yes, if you want if you want the paperback, go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it for you, and you know they will they will do that and have it available for you. But I hope that you will read the book, and I hope that you will call in on the future show and have conversation with Linda or myself about this topic that is taboo. You know, mothers are a national treasure, but not all mothers are created equal and not all women are mothers. You know, you can give birth, but it does not make you a mother. And at the end of the day, this is Patricia Adams live. And this is Linda day thanking you for tuning in wherever you are please feel free to reach out to me at PatriciaAdamsLive.com. You can get to my website, you can get to my show page by Googling Patricia Adams Live. You can find me on LinkedIn, and you can inbox me from there, however you choose to reach out to me. If you want to share your story, please feel free to reach out to me, and I will go through the process of if we can arrange for you to be on the show and talk about your story. But above all else, is that this is your story. And if you've lost your voice and you need to find your voice, we will be here to give you voice. So thank you, Linda. Have a great day. Well, thank you, Patricia. Yeah, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye.